Amen. James chapter 1. Let me invite your attention to God's Word, either a printed copy, electronic device. My mother is at home of the Lord. She went home of the Lord 10 years ago this year. Uh, there are many things I could say about my mom, but one of the things I could say, which I benefited from a lot, she was an incredible cook. She loved to cook, and it was delicious. Uh, we did not have fancy meals at our house, but we had good meals, uh, country cooking. And so I remember many times walking to the dinner table and seeing some dishes on the table. I didn't exactly know what they were. And I would say to my mom, do I really have to eat this? And uh, she would respond back every single time, says, you need to eat what's on the table. And she would often say this, it's good for you. It will make you healthy and strong. Now, as a little boy, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear my mom say, you don't have to eat this. But she said, no, what's on the table you need to eat. It's good for you. It's going to make you healthy and strong. It wasn't the answer that I really wanted to hear. Well, we come to a sermon like this. Do I really have to eat this from James chapter 1? God knows what it takes to grow you and me in the Christian life so that we will be mature. And the truth of the matter is today, for, for many of us, it's not what we like to hear. What he says it's going to take for us to be mature, steadfast, and to be strong in the Christian faith. Let me ask you this question. What is the goal of the Christian life? And I could spend an entire sermon just on that question, but let me give you a couple of answers to it. The goal of the Christian life, on one hand, is for you and me to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's out of Romans chapter 8. The second thing I would say, the goal of the Christian life, is that you and I would live the abundant life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10. So as I think about that question, and then I gave you two answers, let me ask you, in your walk with Christ, are you being conformed to the likeness of Jesus? And then are you living the abundant life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10? James is nuts and bolts because it gives us the insights on how to live the Christian life, how to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, but also how to live the abundant life that he promised. So are you being conformed to his likeness? Are you living the abundant life that he promised? How is your walk with Christ? Are you mature in relationship to him? Now, let me give you a little word here, too, as we think about James chapter 1. If you're going to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus and you're going to live the abundant life that he promised, here's what I know personal struggles, spiritual trials, and hard days await you if you desire to live like Christ and to live the abundant life. They are awaiting you in life. And you say, well, I don't want to hear that. Well, James would say this, it's good for you. Just like my mom would say, you need to eat that because it's good for you. It will make you healthy and strong. And so when you go through struggles and trials and hard days, those things are good for you because they will help make you like Christ, but also equip you to live the abundant life that Jesus promised. Let me also say to you that when you go through personal struggles, spiritual hard days, and trying times in life, that never means that God is against you. That never means that God is out to get you. And that never means that God is mistreating you. And it never means that he wants to hurt your life. It means this, that God loves you and he is conforming you to the likeness of his son so that you can live the abundant life that he promised. Now, there are many verses in the Bible that are fairly easy to quote, but not so easy to live by. I would say today, James chapter 1, verse 2 would be one of those. 
It does not take long to read it. It does not take long to quote it. It just says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How do you do that in the Christian life? How do you count it joy when you meet or you face trials of various kinds? For example, what do you say to someone whom you're in a conversation with and this person, this lady says, my husband came in the house gathered some of his belongings, said a few hurtful words, and walked out leaving the kids and me to pick up the pieces of life. What do you say to that, that wife, that mom? What do you say to someone who says, a significant person in my life just died of cancer? What do you say to that person? What do you say to a couple who says, we gave birth to a baby and minutes after giving birth, our child died? What do you say to that person? What do you say to someone who says, I lost my job last week and I have no idea what the future holds for me? What do you say to that person? Then what do you say to the person who says, he told me he loved me and I thought he really meant it, but his actions showed that he didn't. What do you say to that person? James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. One of the challenges for us as we walk through this series, even beginning here, first sermon out of this series is, how do you respond to the trials of life? Are they going to come to every single one of us? How do we count it joy? How are we conformed to the likeness of Christ? How do we live the abundant life that he promised? How do we do that? Because how do we respond to those trials? Because here's reality. There are some people when they face the trials of life, they literally want to quit everything, even the spiritual things of life. I'm done with life. I'm done with anything about God. want nothing to do with the church. I'm simply finished and done. I pray that's not your response. When you face trials in life, here's how I pray. You would respond, I would respond. God, what are you trying to say to me in my life? And God, what do you want to do in my life as a result of this trial? Do do I really have to eat this? Yes, it's good for you. But God, what are you trying to say to me then? And then, God, what do you want to do in my life if this is good for me? Because you want me to be like Jesus, but also you want me to live the abundant life. What are you saying and what do you want to do in my life? I pray that's your response and that's my response when we meet the trials of life. Now, as we walk through God's Word, let me give you some insight here. Uh, I want to encourage you to take your outline. What do we know about James? I want to give you some words here to kind of set this up. We understand James in the beginning. That's his name. He's the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we know about him? His name was common in the New Testament. There are other people who are named James, but we're talking about James, the apostle, but James also the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. Many church historians say about James, the one we're talking about today, that he had camel knees in life. You say, what do you mean by that? Camel knees, if, if you're in the Holy Land, you can oftentimes be in Jericho or you can be at the Mount of Olives and you're going to see camels. And you're going to see how those camels bend down to the ground, how they get up and their knees are a vital part of that. And you're going to see how tough the knees of those camels are. Why? Because they're doing it on pavement and hard surfaces. But church historians said James had camel knees. Here's why. Because he was on his knees so long praying for the people of God. 
If I ask you today, when you look at your knees, are there any indentions on your knees because you're on your knees in your face praying for the people of God that we would be all that God wants us to be? James was a leader, but also someone who had camel knees because he was a man who prayed and interceded for the people of God to be all that God wanted them to be. But what do we know about James? I could give you many titles, and I want to to encourage you to fill these blanks in. I give you number one is believer. James was a believer. He was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot in James' life changed when he understood the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Changed his life like it's changed you and me. But James was a believer in Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like growing up with Jesus? I mean, can you imagine growing up with him like, who is this child anyway? I mean, he never sins. He always eats what's on the table. He always cleans his room. He never backtalks mom or dad. Who is this child anyway? Well, he's the son of God, savior of the world. He's the Messiah. James was a believer. Uh, Number two, he was a pastor. I could walk you through in the New Testament and show you where James was called of God to be a pastor. What a great title in his life that he was a pastor. I pray we never use the title pastor lightly. You don't get the title pastor because you're on a career track. You get the title pastor because God called you to be a pastor. It's a significant title in life. James, he was a believer, but he was also a pastor. Number three, he was an apostle. Not many people could say they were an apostle. If you go back to Galatians chapter 1, the Bible says this about James. Then, then Paul is saying, then after three years, went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so Paul is talking about meeting James. He was an apostle. He was a brother of the Lord. What an incredible title. Interesting enough, when James introduces himself in James chapter 1, he never uses the word apostle. If I was probably writing that, I'd probably use the word apostle. I want you to know who I am. I've seen the Lord, had experiences with him. He didn't use that. The challenge for you and me is never brag on yourself. James could have, but he didn't do it. Let me give you a word. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2. You may want to write this down. In our day of social media, you may want to hang on to this one for a little bit. But in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, the Bible says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. I just encourage you, you don't know what's going to happen on Monday. If God leads you to make any decision today in obedience to Christ, do not procrastinate. Don't delay. Obey the leadership of Christ today, because today is all you and I have got. We don't have tomorrow. This is it. And then look at the next word, Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Be careful about bragging about yourself. This is one of the verses that I struggle so much over social media because I don't ever want to come across on social media as someone who is bragging or someone who has an ego. If somebody's going to praise somebody, let somebody else do it, not your mouth or my mouth. And here James is in James chapter 1, somebody again who was a believer, somebody who was a pastor, but also someone who was an apostle. He could have said all those things. I'm a believer in Christ. I'm a pastor of the local church. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, he could have said he was an author. 
Because what are we doing here in 2022? We are studying the words of James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was a New Testament author. We could, he could have said, I'm an author of the New Testament. But he didn't do that. Number five, he said what? Servant. That's the title he used. He could have used all these other words to introduce himself. But James comes up and he says what? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He described himself as a servant. He said, here's who I am. I am a servant. Doulos, I'm someone who serves Jesus. If you're going to be conformed to the likeness of Christ... And you're going to live the abundant life of Christ. You've got to identify yourself in life. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are you living with a servant heart? Are you living with a servant mentality? Are you living with a servant spirit in life? That's the heart of James. And then he goes on to say, James is servant, not just of anyone, but of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, what does that mean? It means those who are scattered. Why were they scattered? They were scattered because they were obedient to Christ. They were persecuted for their faith. They were scattered. And when they were scattered, they served Christ. They proclaimed God's word. And they saw the lives of people change. But they did not stay in a holy huddle. They scattered to serve Jesus. Church, it's amazing to gather on Sunday mornings. It's amazing to gather on Wednesday nights. It's amazing to gather in disciple studies and other Bible studies, but somewhere we've got, we can't stay in the huddle. We've got to scatter and serve Jesus out there somewhere. That's what happens here in the book of James. Those who are scattered because of the dispersion, they scatter to serve. God forbid that we would stay in our holy huddles. No, we've got to break somewhere and we've got to go serve. We wouldn't want a basketball team to stay in the huddle. We wouldn't want a football team to stay in the huddle. Yes, get to play, get what you're going to do, but then go execute somewhere. Same is true in the Christian life. Let's gather together, make much of Jesus, encourage one another and disciple one another, but let's break and go serve him and the hearts and lives of hurting people. And then he uses this word greetings. It's an interesting word because it's a word that literally means rejoice. He's saying you need to have joy in your life. You need to be someone that's rejoicing in life. And in church family, you know this. We have so much to be thankful for. And you say, well, I've got it bad in life. Well, many of us could say that. But I want to say this. You may have it bad in life, but if you've got Jesus in your life, you've got it good in life. Because Jesus changes everything. And so greetings. What do we have to rejoice about? Aren't you rejoicing that you're saved? Aren't you rejoicing that he's preparing a place in heaven for you? Aren't you rejoicing that Jesus said, if you're weary and heavy laden, you can come to him and get rest? Aren't you rejoicing that he is the shepherd of your life? Aren't you rejoicing that you'll never be lost again? Aren't you rejoicing that when the trials of life happen, he is there with you? We need to rejoice as the people of God. And here James is a servant. James, again, speaking about he's a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about those who are scattered because of their faith, and says, you need to rejoice. Greetings, rejoice, have joy in life. And so as I think about the Christian life, being conformed to Christ and living the abundant life of Christ, let me ask you, is joy characteristic in your walk with Jesus at this stage of your life? 
I wonder how many would say you've lost the joy of the Christian life. Well, the good news, he's the joy giver. He can restore that. The nuts and bolts, he can restore the joy and the celebration of your walk with him. He can do that. Well, as we walk through this text, I'm giving you some foundation stuff. Once you look at number one, we, what do we learn about James here in these verses? Number one, embrace power. As you and I think about the Christian life, at the core of the Christian life is Jesus' sinless life, his sacrificial death, his burial in a tomb, but his glorious resurrection. The good news is Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, and one day he's coming again. And as you and I think about Christianity, Christianity just means for you and me, those of us who know Christ, that we die every single day of life. Uh, did you under, get that? I mean, when, when we named the name of Christ, he said, I want you to pick up your cross daily and follow me. So when we named the name of Christ, we commit to die every single day of life. And dead people simply don't get their feelings hurt. And so as we live the Christian life as servants, again, we're not bragging about ourselves. We have the nature of a servant. We're living and we're following the example set by Jesus. Now when you look at James, James here again, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I understand this idea of servant, here's some words, not on the outline, but I would give you. James understood his position. He was a servant of Jesus. He understood his purpose. He was to make much of Jesus in his life. But he also understood his power. It was not what James was going to do, but how the Lord was going to work in and through his life. James understood his position. He understood his purpose. And he served with incredible power in life. Same is true in your life and my life. When we live the Christian life, we need to understand, here's our position. Here's the purpose God has for us. And I serve based upon his power, not upon the flesh, but on the spirit. Now, when we do that, uh, what happens in the midst of that? I've given you some words here. When we, when we recognize we embrace power, what does he do in and through us? Number one, Jesus leads. Folks, I hope you understand today that you and I are not in control. When we are servants, guess who's in control? Jesus is in control, not you and me. And so James understood Jesus was leading him. When you and I have servant hearts, Jesus is leading you and me. He's in control, not us. Number two, Jesus provides. He'll meet every need you have in Christ Jesus. He'll do that. And when you and I say he provides, what does that mean? We are dependent upon him. Here's what it means. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing, but with Jesus, we can do all things. He leads, but he also provides. Number three, Jesus empowers. He has all power. Nothing is impossible with him. He can do all things. And so you and I can't even begin to comprehend. When we get to the point that we surrender everything to Jesus... We have the mind and the heart of servants. We can't even begin to comprehend what God will do in and through our lives because we are his servants. He empowers us. Number four, Jesus uses. He wants to use you in life. Now, let me ask you these questions. Why did Jesus save you and leave you here? How's the Son of God gifted you in the Christian life? And how are you serving him in your walk with him? And so when you look at your life, why did he save you and leave you here? How did he gift you and how are you serving him? I pray that you are serving Jesus in the fellowship of his church. And many people say, well, no one's ever asked me to serve. I encourage you, please don't use that excuse.
your servant in Christ. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to live the abundant life. Don't give the excuse, no one has ever asked me to serve. Make your life available. Talk to one of us. Go to one of the Connect Centers. Call us during the week. He has saved you. He's left you here. He's gifted you. He wants to use you. Don't say no one has ever asked me. Volunteer and say, where can God use me at in the fellowship of our church? He wants you to serve. James was a servant. He wasn't a celebrity. He was a servant. God wants to use you as well. Embrace power. Serve Jesus. Number two, expect problems. Now, I love this about James as we walk through this. He he's doesn't have this fairy tale kind of understanding of the Christian life. He gets honest. He's given us the nuts and bolts to say, you need to know this and you need to do this. So he is saying, you need to expect problems. So as he goes on to say, count it all no joy, my brothers. And notice this word, when. He did not say if, he said when. Truth of the matter is, it's not if you're going to be tempted, but when you're tempted. Right. Truth of the matter is not if you're going to face trials, it's when you're going to face trials. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He is just saying to you and me, those who know Jesus, who follow him, you expect problems in life. Now, I know most of us don't like to hear that. Because most of us don't get up in the morning and start praying and say, God, I pray today you'll send adversities, trials, and hardships into my life today. God, please send an adversity my way today. God, let me suffer before this day is over. God, let this be the hardest day of my life. We don't pray that way. And that's okay that we don't. But he's just saying, live a realistic Christian life. The nuts and bolts. Listen, you embrace power. Be a servant. But what you expect problems because trials are coming your way. And he said in his passage, you expect trials. And he said, what a various kinds. I could spend hours talking about the various kinds of trials. But I've just given you three here. Look at these. Number one, dry seasons. Am I speaking to anyone here today in the Christian life that you've ever had a dry season in your walk with Jesus? I mean, you find yourself praying, you find yourself reading the Word, but your spiritual life is just in a desert. It's just dry. God has you on the backside of the desert for some reason. Dry. I was young in the ministry, and I walked into my senior pastor's study one, one night, it was on a Wednesday night, small little room, nothing elaborate at all. And I remember he was sitting behind his desk, and I sat in a chair in front of his desk. And he looked at me, and he said, Brother Ronnie, this is one of the most driest seasons of my walk with Christ. And being young in the ministry, I thought, I don't even understand what you just said. What do you mean by that? You're the pastor. You're going to stand up and teach here in just in a few moments. You're the preacher. You're going to preach. He said, this is one of the most dry seasons of my life. Now, years later, here I am now, I totally understand what he was saying. There are times God's going to put you on the backside of the desert because he's doing something in your life. You just meet that trial to say, God, you're up to something in my life. I don't want to miss it. Dry seasons. Number two, personal adversities. I think you know in this room those who are watching, every day is not on the mountaintop. 
Oh, there are many days we're on the mountaintops. Life couldn't be better. But there are days you're going to find yourself in the valley and realize when you're on the mountaintop, God is at work, but he's at work when you're in the valley as well. Just realize that. Mountaintops and valleys, but you're going to face some trials, personal adversities in your life. And then number three, silent periods. There are going to be periods in the Christian life. I'm just being honest, being real. There are going to be times in the Christian life you're going to face silence. You feel like, God, you've not said a word to me, and heaven seems so silent in my life right now. And somebody say, well, are you praying? Yes, I'm praying. Are you reading the Word of God? Yes, I'm reading the Word of God every day. But it just seems like God is silent and heaven is silent. Listen, when God is silent, that does not mean He's not working. Oftentimes, He's working behind the scenes. You can't see Him. And it's like when I was in grade school... We had a basketball court, and then we had a a stage at the end, had a curtain on it, and oftentimes that curtain was drawn. You couldn't see behind it. That's so true of the Christian life. There are times to other people the curtain is drawn. God is at work behind the scenes, and then one day he pulls back the curtain and hear all that God's been doing in your life. Now he's going to show you what it is. You just need to expect problems in life. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Number three, exemplify patience. How many of you are patient by nature? We live in this instant gratification world. We want it right now. We don't want to wait. But you need to exemplify patience because he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. What do you know? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you created with purpose? Do you know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you know that trials are coming your way? What do you know? He says it's for you know that the testing of your faith, be patient, persevere, be steadfast because God's working in your life. Why is he working? So that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. He wants you to be like Jesus and he wants you to live the abundant life that he's promised. Let me give you these three challenges. Number one, don't give up. Folks, when life gets hard, you exemplify patience. You don't give up. Don't throw in a towel. Don't walk away. Don't close your Bible. Stay on your knees. Don't give up. Number two, God's at work. Even though the trials of life are coming, Almighty God is still at work. He'll use things in your life. Even though it may be difficult, God is doing a special work in your life. Trust God. He's working in your life. Number three, trials are good. There are some things you and I will only learn about God and the Christian life and about his word by allowing us to go through the fiery furnace in life. Don't deny those times when he puts you in the fiery furnace. God, what are you saying to me and what do you want to do? God is good and even trials are good. Just don't give up. And I would encourage you, you're going to be around a lot of people in the Christian life and you're going to need to encourage them, don't give up as well because you're going to have people, you're going to talk to folks who are on the verge of walking away from their marriage and you need to say, don't, don't give up, don't, don't walk away from what God joined together. You're going to be around people who are going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to step away from school. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's too hard. You're going to say, you can do it. Don't give up. Stay the course. Are you going to be around people who are getting ready to walk away from their job, have no idea what they're going to do? Encourage them to stay the course, stay faithful, persevere. 
Are you and I going to be around people in ministry who are going to walk away and throw in the towel of ministry? Many folks who start in ministry never end in ministry at retirement. And somewhere we've got to come alongside these individuals and say, listen, trials come to us all. Stay the course. Be faithful. God's at work. Trials are good. Stay the course. Exemplify patience. Don't give up. And then number four, express praise. When you look in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God's promised to those who love him. Let me ask you this. As you think about blessed is the man, the book of James corresponds so well to the Sermon on the Mount from Matthews 5, 6, and 7. This is like one of the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man who does this. That's what Jesus said in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. But let me ask you when he says he's going to give the crown of life to, to those God has promised to those who love him. Let me ask you, do you love Jesus today with all of your life? To those who love him, do you truly love him? Truth of the matter is if you love him, you'll obey what he commands. But do you really, really love him? And here's what I know. When you, when you look at this text. Do I really have to eat this? Are these trials really good for me in life? I mean, when we go through trials, we don't have to pretend everything is okay. I mean, it's not like you walk around and say, bless God, my life is falling apart. Praise the Lord, life couldn't get any harder. Yeah, That's not what you're talking about. I'm just encouraging you, don't waste the trials of your life. I mean, express praise to God. God, I I don't know all that you're doing. I don't know all that you're saying, but I'm going to praise you because you're good. I love you with all of my life, and I'm going to be faithful to you as you're faithful to me. Don't waste the trials of life. And here's what I know in this room. There are people in this room. You know what it's like to lose a child. You know what it's like to go through divorce. You know what it's like to lose a job. You know what it's like to hear the word cancer. You know what it's like to bury a husband or wife in life. You know what those things are like. Express praise to God for his faithfulness and don't waste those trials in your life. Here's what happens. Number one, God uses hurt individuals. He's the God of comfort, so he comforts us so we can comfort others. When you've been through cancer or divorce or you've lost a loved one, you can comfort and God wants to use you in the lives of other people. He uses hurt individuals. Number two, God uses honest individuals. Individuals who sometimes will come to somebody who's going through a trial and honestly just say, I don't know what to say to you. I don't have the words to communicate to you, but I do know this. God's not going anywhere in your life. I'm not going anywhere in your life. I'm just being honest with you. I've been through hurt just like you have. I'm being honest. I I don't know what to say, but God is faithful and I'm going to be faithful. And then three, God uses healthy individuals. When you've been hurt and you're honest, it's on a pathway to health. And what does God do? He uses you to point people to Jesus. Because in those situations, you're saying, I don't have the answers, but Jesus does. He wants you to start well, and he wants you to finish well. The USA Today took out an ad a number of years ago. It was from an Olympic race in 1968. It was a Tanzanian runner had run the race and he found himself injured during the race. His blood was, his, his leg was bloody and bandaged. 
And so the winner had already won, run the race many, many times earlier. And so the, the race was over. But here he is still running the race. He comes into the stadium to the finish line. Very few people are even still in the stadium. And here he comes into the stadium. Again, blood on his leg. He's bandaged. He's bruised. But he's coming to the finish line and he finishes. And so a newspaper reporter had a conversation with him and said, Why didn't you stop? Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you retire? I mean, the race was over. You were not going to win. And the Tanzanian runner looked at the reporter with very much confusion in his eyes and said, well, my country sent me here to start the race, but my country also sent me here to finish the race. He saved you that you could have a good beginning, but also he wants you to finish well. And finish well. When you finish, you're going to come across in life, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various or trials of various kinds. 1873 in Chicago. A gentleman by the name, he was an attorney, high-powered attorney, by the name of Horatio Spafford. Friends of D.O. Moody. Moody, a great evangelist, led, led many people to Christ, preached the gospel with passion and urgency. The great Chicago fire happened, as you remember in history. And again, Moody and Spafford, great, great friends. Spafford made the decision that he was going to, him and his family were going to get away from Chicago and they were going to sail across the ocean to Europe. And so Spafford, they were getting ready to leave and then all of a sudden there was a case that came up, something that Spafford had to take care of. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead, November 1873. And you remember the story, many of you in this room and those who are watching, the, the vessel that they were on hit another vessel and the ship sank in 12 minutes time. Spafford was still in Chicago, his wife and four daughters on the ocean, his four daughters lost their lives. His wife survived. And when Spafford sailed to, to be at the place where the ship went down, he got to that point where many said was right in the own vicinity of that. And what did he say? When sorrows like sea billows roll. And then what did he say next? It is well with my soul. I imagine there are those here right now there are those who are watching. The trials are raging in your life. Do I really have to eat this? God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? It's good for you. It'll make you healthy and strong. When sorrows like sea billows rolled, how many of you can say, God, only in your presence, it is well with my soul. Let's bow together as we pray. And today in the room and those who are watching, I'm going to be here in front. Our pastoral team will be here in front. Our prayer teams are going to be here as well. If you need to give your life to Christ, He's the only way to be saved. Jesus, Jesus, Him alone. You don't know tomorrow, so don't procrastinate. Give your life to Christ today. You need to be baptized as a believer. Obey the leadership of Christ while you have time to do so. You need to join the fellowship of this church. I would encourage you. I appeal to you today. 
early here in 2022, step out from where you are, walk down one of these aisles, come to one of us and just say, I want to be a part of this church family. God's at work here and I want to be a part of what God is doing. Then how many of you, the confession of your heart today would say, when sorrows like sea billows roll, and you would say the trials of your life are real today. And you need somebody to pray for you and with you. You need the hope that comes from Christ. We encourage you to come forward today as well. And those who are watching, you see an email address. You can respond and communicate on the platform you're watching. But we would love to come alongside you no matter where you live at in the world. The good news is we can, if you can see us, we can communicate with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to see Jesus make you like him so you'd live the abundant life as well. Do I really have to eat this? Yes. Why? Well, it's good for you. It'll make you healthy and strong. That's the beginning of James. So, Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, that even in the midst of trials, you use them to make us like Jesus and to grow us in the Christian life so that we can live the abundant life. Now, in this invitation, Father, may people come to Jesus. They're not coming to us. They're coming to you. And may lives be changed. We glorify you. We expect, Lord, for people to be obedient. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life for us, that we could be free and we could come and find victory in life. And, Lord, let us say today, it is well with my soul because of who Jesus is. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.